You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Hey y'all, I'm Mella, and I'm the Southern Belle in Bell Book and Candle. Thanks for being here with us. Our guest today is Corinne Labita, tarot card reader extraordinaire and Reiki master practitioner. When she's not slinging cards, she's researching metaphysics, listening to copious amounts of paranormal podcasts, and trying to find different ways to pickle vegetables. And I have a question for you about that, but we'll get to that. While working as an instructor in a therapeutic program for at-risk teens, she gained an interest in Jungian psychology, and her experience there has led her to create different courses and offerings on a variety of topics, such as reading tarot, shadow work, and a shamanic journeying workshop designed to help individuals meet and work with their shadows. Corinne is currently doing tarot readings for individuals, teaching tarot classes, and creating programs geared specifically for corporate offices to help companies meet the needs of their employees with a more holistic approach. Welcome! Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. So glad to have you. So I'm always curious about how people got their start using tarot in their lives because the stories are always so varied. So I'm going to start there. What drew you to tarot? It was actually a really weird, like unusual moment where um, I was driving to my job and I was sitting at a red light and I just had this thought out of nowhere where it's like, I, I think I'm a witch. It was just like, I'm more. I just like had this like realization, like, I think I'm a witch. Okay, what do witches do? Uh... <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I think they do tarot. What's tarot? I have no idea. So, uh, and then I just, um, my best friend and I went to, I live in Columbus, Ohio. And so we went to like a local shop and I ended up picking up a deck of Oracle decks because I didn't know the difference. They were nice Oracle decks, but I didn't really get it. I didn't understand it very well. And then I went online and found out that there's a difference between tarot and Oracle. And so then I grabbed a deck of tarot cards and it was just the typical Rider Waite Smith. Mm-hmm. And it, everything clicked in almost immediately once I started to play with the tarot. So yeah. Okay, that's amazing. I love Oracle cards myself. A lot of times tarot readers tell me they have tons and tons of different tarot decks. Well, I have that in Oracle cards. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of friends who are much more drawn to Oracle cards and I love the way they read them. And I'm always Mm. just in awe of that. Oracle cards are always so pretty to me, but when I use them, I'm always like, you know, this just, for whatever reason, the free flowing structure of Oracle, like I have a hard, mm. harder time with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I know people like that too. Yeah, that it's just whatever calls to you, I guess. Exactly. That's the beauty of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. we so many different tools for the way we self-express. <laughs> exactly. And does your interest in shadow work intersect with tarot at all? Definitely. I mean, so for me, the way I read tarot, and of course I have to do like a big, huge disclaimer. I am, uh, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not any of those things. 
um, though I did do counseling type work um, with at-risk teenagers. Uh, but the way I read tarot is far more of a counseling session than anything else. And I know that mm. most tarot readings are that way, but like for me, the way that I use it is to be like, we need to look at your present. Let's really uh, dive down into what is sabotaging you in this moment. Yeah. And because that's the way I read tarot, I find it automatically lends itself to shadow work because, you know, the shadow is where um, we tend to bury all of the parts of ourselves that we don't want to look at. Yeah. And so what's divination if not revealing the hidden parts of yourself? Mm. So it's just, it's like almost just immediately there. <laughs> yeah. And so as you kind of pull shadow work apart a little bit for us, I've done a lot of work in shadow work myself, but I'm always interested in hearing what other people that are really interested in it say about it. So can you give us a little bit more detail about what is involved in shadow work? If someone says, I, I've heard this term, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and this is my personal way of of contextualizing shadow work. So what I say is not going to be exactly like by the book shadow work, but uh um, you know, shadow, the whole concept of the shadow is a Jungian archetype. Uh, Carl Jung is the one who coined the term and really kind of laid the framework for the whole concept of shadow work and how to um, use the shadow as a way of really getting into the nitty gritty of self-discovery and personal self-awareness. The shadow as an archetype tends to be the embodiment of the things about our personality, about our being, that we tend to find embarrassing, shameful. We have a hard time looking at it. It's the bits of ourselves that we like to push down and not acknowledge. Those can be uh, traumas, but they can also be talents that we are suppressing for whatever reason, whether it's because we were told it was dumb or you know, there's, there's like, we have personal hangups around what our talents are and we don't want to acknowledge it. It could be any of those things, you know, it doesn't have to be so deadly serious, but, uh, the shadow is oftentimes where our negative behavior patterns tend to find their core. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Like, yeah, that's where they tend to originate. I should say. Mm-hmm. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So with, with myself, I started on shadow work when, during a very dark time in my life and my mm. parents actually, I was going to be divorced from my husband because of all this stuff. And they got me into dialectical behavior therapy, DBT. And it started me on the path to where I am now. And I don't remember, this was back in my early thirties. I don't remember if they called it shadow work, but when I look back, that's exactly what it was. I learned yeah. to love myself, even what I found in the shadows. But beyond that, I realized that everything that I had personally in my shadows, it wasn't all this dark and sinful stuff like I'd been told. Exactly. Have, so what has your own personal journey through shadow work been like? So my own personal journey has been like where, like it starts with looking at the shame. Mm because that is a huge part of shadow work. It's really like, uh, for me, um, money 
has always been a challenge for me ever since I was a mm. little kid. And part of shadow work is to really look at your relationship with uh, a thing that you, the thing that you're struggling with. For me, it was money. That was a big one. There was a, quite a few others, but for the sake of an example, I re- realized with doing shadow work that I had generational shame around mm. scarcity, but also around the idea of what I thought being rich meant. Mm-hmm. And so I was having to confront these intense judgments that I held for the rich and realized mm. that I was keeping myself in a place of scarcity due to the this self-righteous attitude that I was taking towards and what I was otherizing, which is the rich. Mm-hmm. Also projecting my fear and my contempt and my insecurities and all of these different com- complexes onto the rich as a way to distance myself from what I assumed was bad. And so like taking that apart was such an interesting exercise and the concept of what is bad for me. Yeah. yeah. You know, why, why do I put that label on things? I mean, I think that a lot of people can say that they have shadows around money because that's, we've just been taught even through culture as huge groups of people Mm -hmm. that to have money means that you are, you know, money is the root of all evil. Exactly. Exactly. That sort of thing. It's inherently exploitative and, you know, power corrupts and yada, yada, yada. And then when you see other people who do well, then you have, you deal with like envy. You do deal with all these very complicated under the surface, but just barely under the surface emotions that when not examined, then create a series of behaviors that we play out over and over again, and that creates the pattern. And so disassembling that is, it can be, it's an intense experience, and it can sometimes feel like death when you go deep enough into it, because it is Mm. like you're taking apart deeply held beliefs that were probably not even yours to begin with and were put there at a very, very early age. And then we just Mm. let that programming run our entire lives and didn't even understand that that was happening. Yeah. Becoming aware of that is like, oh, suddenly like some of my thoughts aren't even my own. And that's Mm -hmm. a really interesting place to be in. Yeah, I think that's where I'm in the South. I'm in South Carolina. And I feel like that's where a lot of racism around Mm -hmm. me comes from. It's this ancestral generational thing. And and when you try to question someone my age or younger, they really don't know why they feel that way. That's just how their family has always done it. And they'll say something to that effect. My granddaddy did it and my daddy did it this way. Yep. Okay, think for yourself. Let's dig it up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, an intergenerational trauma, pain, beliefs, which all of those things get so intertwined that it's really hard to suss them out from each other. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is the great work that is being undertaken right now by 
mm. the current generations of like, yeah, oh, all of this stuff that we assumed was just the nature of our existence. It was just part and par- parcel of being in a Western civilization. Mm. All of that's now coming into into question. And, yeah. and the sharp relief of, oh, I have allowed my power to be taken away by these institutional structures that were here long before I came onto this earth that I was conditioned into believing was the way it was always going to be. Mm -hmm. And now there is enough people being like, wait a minute, but why? Mm. And that is the collective shadow work that's happening right now. And anyone who undergoes shadow work understands that to really look around and ask, but why is the first step to a chaotic process of disillusionment and then rebuilding um, yourself and it and it's an, it's rough it's rough and all that stuff starts to come up and you have to look at it mm-hmm. and so it creates chaos and it opens old wounds and it's also so beautiful and it is the way that we transmute all of that stuff into something so much better. And it's really important to remember that disillusion and transmutation is like one in the same. And to really allow that process to happen and not get too caught in the fear of letting all that stuff go is so important. Yeah, yeah, wow. I was reading somewhere about Carl Jung believing that a lot of what was in the shadow could be considered gold. So yeah, with the idea that there's gold in the shadow, I really had to work through what of all the crap that I dug up in my shadow, what's gold in that? And one of the the gold that I found was the, being an empath could seem like a shadow and it does seem like a curse sometimes but all even with all the abuse and everything else that i dug up it all came down to me being very compassionate and able to really hold space for other people and so for me i found that as part of my gold you believe the thing about gold in the shadow 100 yeah so that's the other side of it is um uh, carl young talks about individuation and what he meant by that is that when we unite all of the parts of ourselves that we've been denying and we unite them into to one being essentially and we are able to truly love and accept all of the bits of who we are as as one incredible person that is Corinne or mm. John or whomever else like and part of that is to reach a place of um, almost like neutrality about the aspects of ourselves that we would otherwise deem unworthy or mm. deem um, you know, unacceptable and in some way. We would take all of those parts and understand the gift that they're giving to us by existing, by releasing the judgment of them and mm just ex- like appreciating that this is here 
so that I could be, so I could move forward in some way or another, or it was protecting me, or it was helping me become a more dynamic person. And, you know, my not allowing for this to exist with my full approval um, is the only thing that is stopping me from becoming even better, even the the magnificent person that I want to be, you know? Yeah. It is the shadow that has the greatest treasure for us because mm-hmm. if we are, you know, denying any aspect of who we are, then we are pumping the brakes on our our natural ability to be extraordinary Mm. and the the more that uh we're willing to acknowledge with compassion and love that there are these aspects that are not acceptable in so many ways a uh, good example, um, when we, you know, the larger conversation around racism, like you were talking about mm-hmm. and how a lot of, you know, a lot of the healing of racism is to accept the fact that we live in a white supremacist society and mm. that that is conditioned into us. Like speaking yeah. of beliefs that are put, you know, as children, oh yeah, itty bitties and it's generational. And so like, it's so hard to understand that it is there. Um, especially if you're white, it's really hard to understand and see the perspective of what generational white supremacy does. But when you're willing to look at it and see that, yes, this is something that's inside me and then appreciate that to to acknowledge this is to acknowledge the larger structures that we are in that we have the ability to say no to that we have the ability to be like i want something better than whatever this is because this isn't working anymore but you can't get to the better stuff if you're not willing to sit down and and look at the 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 issue to begin with Mm. so and then that's like part of the treasure and then like on the other side of the spectrum there are so many talents that we all tend to suppress especially in this society because what's more suppressed than um every individual's natural ability to access magic right you know and like how like you're an empath so am i and like how much better would our lives have been if we grown up, grew up in a society that not only embraced empaths, but like help teach every single person with that ability. Oh my God. Yeah. To understand it, to hone it, to, um, be able to work with it. You know what I mean? Like, yes, (laughs) yes. We'd be so much healthier. Yeah, I can't even imagine what my life would have been like if I had been, I'm an indigo child as well, if you know what that is. So I'm indigo, I'm an empath, I have psychic gifts, mm-hmm. and all, I mean, all I was ever told is, you know, I'm cavorting with the devil. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. So there's there's that bit. And then there's also like, you know, as a kid, so I grew up Catholic and my dad's a a permanent deacon at the Catholic church. But like, you know, a lot of times when I say that people assume that my parents were like ultra conservative and and they weren't. In fact, it was my dad when I was 12 years old. He's like, it's time for you to start questioning this stuff. 
because it's important for you to know your own mind. Mm. Uh, he might have regretted that afterwards because <laughs> questioning, I was like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> But they, he did encourage that. So anyway, growing up and being so deeply, like definitely an empath. I guess I'm an, I think I'm an indigo child though. I never, um, I'm really careful with saying like with those things because they're like cool ideas that I like. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I always want to be careful of like not claiming too many labels, but like, I, but I think I am. And so like as a child, um, I used to be told all the time that I was too sensitive. I was too sensitive mm, because yeah. anything would make me lose it. And like, yeah. I was, I, you know, anything that I perceived as a slight, anything that felt a little off, I would just go ballistic. And now at 36, knowing what I know and looking back at my childhood, like I was so bombarded by everybody else's emotions. And I didn't understand that that's what was happening to me. Mm -hmm. And because I thought every, all the intensity that I was feeling was just mine, I didn't know how to deal with it. And then to have everyone be like, you're too sensitive, get, get it together. Um, that like had a long lasting effect on me where I saw my emotions as the enemy. Yeah. You know, Mm, definitely. Wow. One thing you were talking about kind of reminded me of a book. I've talked about this one other time on the podcast when someone else mentioned it, but it's called Existential Kink. Have you read that book? (laughs) I am a huge fan of Carolyn Elliott. I did Mm. uh, a few of her programs. She's amazing. Yeah, just how you were talking about kind of accepting the kind of darkness or accepting the shadow Mm -hmm. part. And then that allows you to work through it reminded me of when I read that book. Yeah, absolutely. Like she is, uh, Carolyn Elliott is a huge influence on me. The concept of existential kink and having a sense of humor about the Mm -hmm. parts of ourselves that we feel all this intensity and shame and and shit around was revolutionary for me. So Mm. I was like, oh yeah, I do take myself like way too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) And when I take myself too seriously, that's when I get into a lot of trouble of doubting myself and the negative self-talk and the, you know, the intense uh, spiraling that I can do. And it's Mm -hmm. because I get into, you know, it's part self-righteous, part victim, part, you know what I mean? And then like, yeah, yeah. And then just being like, okay, you know, I don't, I don't have to feel this. Yeah. I'm just going to wallow into being a victim, right? For a little bit. I'm just going to wallow in it. Oh man. I love being a victim. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Really just going full tilt into it and then realizing how ridiculous it is, is it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That book is amazing. I highly recommend anybody who is interested in this stuff to to read it for just a great, even if you say, oh my God, uh, that's ridiculous. Just read yeah. it once. Just yeah, read it once. Yeah. yeah, just like try try on, try it on for a little bit. I like, I like to tell that to people that I work with a lot. Like you don't have to stick with any one idea, thought or belief. You can yeah. try something on for a while and just see how it feels and then put it down if it's not working for you. And that's totally Absolutely. cool. 
Yeah, that's the witch way, too. Exactly. Speaking of witches, why should witches care about shadow work? Oh my gosh, you can't be a witch and not do shadow work. 100% I'm going to lay that down. <laughs> I agree. Uh, well, at least you can't, you cannot be, I mean, you could label yourself as a witch, but you're not going to be at your full magical potential. Absolutely. And you're not going to be able to be a good healer, which a witch is a healer in some way, I think. You're not going to be able to be a good healer of other people if you haven't healed your own shit. Yeah, absolutely. And like healing your own shit is number one in this because it's, you know, so I I do Reiki or I did Reiki. I don't really do Reiki that much anymore. Um, I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And I swear I'm going to get, so like, I, and I found that, you know, the more, it was just so utterly important that I really examined myself Mm. and understood myself and as I, and, and of course with that's, you know, shadow work and, and, and many other different kinds of modalities also kind of come mm-hmm. into place, but like that unification that happens through the process of understanding. Okay. Let me say it like this, to be an effective witch, you have to understand that everything matters. Mm-hmm. Everything that you experience matters. And that magic is understanding the place for every experience, for every... There is a place for darkness. You mm-hmm. need it. There's a reason why witches are known to work with the moon and why the moon is so important. The juxtaposition between light and dark and the relationship that they have with each other is critical it is the everything it's the as above so below as within so without Mm -hmm. it is that relationship of what is seemingly two diametrically opposed concepts of good bad light dark all of all of these things that we put into into binaries Mm -hmm. that when brought back together you understand that they are one in the same And that one without the other is useless. And so magic is because everything is fractal and like, again, as above, so below, as within, so without. Magic is the expression of what it is to exist in this reality. Magic, at least this is my personal definition, is knowing that reality bends to you, not the other way around. Mm And that I agree with that. To get reality to bend for whatever means that you want to achieve is to appreciate why all of these seemingly disparate things exist within you and around mm. you and what they bring to the table. Hopefully that was kind of clear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, witches should care about shadow work. They yeah. should because it's it's who we are. Yeah. I think that's what I'm hearing. It's it's who we are. It's we who need we are, to yeah. embrace both sides. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned about your magic shifting. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear more about that. Yeah. So um, after the solstice, after the huge conjunction between Saturn and Jupiter, uh, it felt like we entered into a new era. In fact, I'm going to be bold enough to say we did enter into a new era. And suddenly, uh, Reiki, which I still love. This is, this is not me 
saying anything negative about Reiki. Reiki is extraordinary and people who still get a lot of benefit from it, it is awesome. I love Reiki. And I stopped practicing it because I felt that I had shifted beyond its usefulness for me, mm. that the frequency that Reiki exists on wasn't high enough of a frequency any longer. Mm. And that this idea of tapping into something, I mean, technically outside of yourself, but not out of yourself because everything's connected, but like Reiki, you know, you're given these symbols and um, you get an attunement and in order to get that frequency to flow through you. Mm -hmm. And I find that I'm in a place now where I'm like, that's unnecessary because mm. we are all now resonating at such a high frequency that our natural source connection, however you want to frame that, mm -hmm. is all that we need in order to like kick in our natural healing abilities for ourselves. And then being around other people, we help amplify them through the, the whole mm. entertainment process, right? Like for like all you have to do, you don't even have to like lay on his, you don't even have to try. You don't even have to even say, I'm healing you. You just mm -hmm. exist around people. And then we can help amplify and accelerate their own personal self-healing abilities and their source mm. connection, which is really the, what we want is everyone to realize their own power, their own abilities, their own, you know, what the miracle that our human bodies are, you know, and it's yeah. like getting out of the way to let the body do what it does, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just kind of stopped with Reiki because I was like, oh, this isn't, we're past this now. <laughs> mm. I've been hearing that from a lot of different people from different walks and things that they do, just that we're, we're focusing too much on tools and all the magic and all the powers in us and it's exactly. almost like we've forgotten that and we're relying just too much on on uh, tools and and wands and even cards and yeah. i've had that told to me many times you don't you don't need the cards you don't need the dowsing rods you don't need the pendulum you just you just do it yeah. but i guess you get to a point where you can and, and that it almost is like the validation for you until you get to that point Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so I still do tarot readings, not because I actually need cards, but because there's something about the external validation of mm. the card to look at that um, people who come to me still enjoy. Like yeah, there's something yeah. there that they um, connect to. And there's fun. Like, I, I mean, cards are still really fun. And I think for especially people who are just beginning to get curious about their own sense of spirituality, about mm. magic, about any of those things, cards or any other divination tool are an amazing way to really start to dive into this stuff. But yeah. And then you reach a certain point where you're like, you know, I, I still like this. This still, I have, you know, this still has value, but it's not a necessity. Mm. You know, do you pull a card every day? Um, I used to, and sometimes I still do. I'm more a uh, weekly, monthly puller now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what is the last card that you pulled? Like, what's the message around the last card you pulled? So the way I do, so I do two cards. I do one card from 
the top of the deck and one card from the bottom of the deck and I call that my what is hidden card mm -hmm. and the reason why I like to do that is because it adds an extra layer to it it's a, yeah. a little um, it creates complexity in a way that just one card doesn't and so I see the what is hidden card as like this undercurrent energy that is moving things forward in the background and then the top card is the external expression of that undercurrent energy which makes the card of the day a little bit more dynamic so like if i pull yeah. let's say a nine of swords which can feel like an intense card to pull sometimes but then my what is hidden is the sun then i know that the undercurrent energy of the sun this happiness this you know innocence and sunniness is what's bringing things forward so then i can see that the nine of swords is the stuff that's coming up because the sun is shining a light on it so that it can then be transmuted and pushed away right like so that's just one example yeah yeah i like that the last card that i pulled was the moon and it had the empress as what is hidden hmm. And I found that it was really about um, my creative process in that moment. Mm. That the moon was like letting me know about these parts of myself that I wasn't giving my full attention to. And that the empress as what is hidden was telling me that like there's all of this fertility, there's all of this opportunity that that's, you know, constantly being presented to me and I wasn't necessarily giving my full attention to mm -hmm. because some of it was in the shadows for me yeah and I'm like yeah so it was it's kind oh, of it's beautiful one. I do want to ask you about pickling vegetables okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean you put it in the bio so <laughs> I was I was given a glass pickling crop last year I haven't used it yet but I watch a Chinese lady on YouTube called Lazichi and she makes such yummy looking things in hers. And so I was lusting after this glass Chinese crock pot. Yes. <laughs> so any advice from your research on what I can do with this glass pickling crock? You know, most of my pickling I do is like refrigerator prickles where, mm. so it started with uh, learning how to make banh mi because I love banh mi so much. Oh, I have never had that. It's um, Vietnamese subs, essentially. But they have, like, so it's meat and also often with, like, cilantro on this soft mm. French roll. And then they have pickled um, daikon radish, radishes, carrots, cucumber, and jalapeno. Mm. And it's so delicious, and it makes the whole sandwich. And all you do, it's so easy. You cut your vegetables up, and then you do, you use rice wine vinegar yeah like rice vinegar unseasoned and you do sugar and salt and water and I do equal parts vinegar and water and then I just kind of toss the salt and sugar just I'm not very precise I definitely just mm -hmm. like ah oh, that looks good <laughs> that's southern <laughs> cooking right there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then equal parts uh, water and vinegar and you just what you do is you coat all of your vegetables in sugar and salt, like just a little mm -hmm. bit of salt. You don't want to go overboard, but like sugar and salt and you let it sweat 
for a little while mm. and let the okay. cellular structure break down and soften. And then you rinse the sugar and salt off after like, I would say 20 minutes. And then you take more sugar and you dissolve it. And again, you don't want to do too much, it, you know, maybe two or three tablespoons, depending on how big the, the jar is, but basically enough that you, it's preserving, it's helping to preserve. And you dissolve some sugar, some salt, in the vinegar water mixture and you just mm -hmm. dump it in on your like put the veggies in a jar dump the mixture on top give it a little shake and then put it in your fridge for 48 hours and you have delicious pickled veggies oh i have to try that that sounds great yeah it's so easy it's so easy and it's the perfect way to begin pickling <laughs> i've done sauerkraut before but i haven't done it in my new crock i've always done it in mason jars yeah. and you do the whole thing with the salt and let it sweat and all that so well yeah you already know how to do it you did uh sauerkraut perfect <laughs> the first time i made sauerkraut it was delicious and even even my children said it was the best they have they ever had nice. <laughs> the second time i made it it ruined every one of them ruined. i don't know what i did wrong <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for, for giving me that. I appreciate it. Uh, if if someone wants to attend a class that you're teaching, if they're around you, if they want to get in touch for a tarot reading, how do they get in touch with you? I am bucking this system right now. Um, I do have an Instagram and it's Corey Libidus, C-O-R-I-L-A-B as in boy, I-T as in Tom A. It's honestly my personal. So like if you go through it, you'll just see a lot of pictures of my cats. <laughs> which is like cats yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> there are worse things but like i i i'm not a huge fan of social media but i do have that and if you follow me on instagram i do post all of my events um on instagram and my personal facebook as well and so that's a great way like if you like so again i'm in columbus ohio so if you happen to have columbus ohio listeners or people who are willing to travel i am going to be doing another tarot event here in october but the dates um still need to be worked out it's probably gonna be in the beginning i'm getting married at the end of october i'm having a halloween wedding of course oh my god you gotta stay on brand <laughs> wow so i'm getting married october 30th and so i uh, I am only doing events at the beginning of October for this year, but like, yeah, so I'm going to be doing something um, at the jury room. And then if you want to get a hold of me, if you like the cut of my jib and you're like, oh, I want to experience a tarot reading from Corinne, the best way is to email me. So it's again, Corey Labitas, so C-O-R-I-L-A-B as in boy, I-T as in Tom, A at gmail.com. I am very flexible with how uh, these readings go. I basically let every single individual talk to me about what they need. And then I will create something that like, I will price appropriately and create kind of like a recommendation for like how long and what kind of reading we can do. Um, I cater to every individual's needs. So hmm. yeah. Okay. That's how you uh, get a hold of me. <laughs> and as far as your wedding your Samhain Halloween wedding I gotta ask are you having dark witchy vibes at it oh a hundred percent so oh my right. god <laughs> so we um uh my fiance and I we love this little town in Ohio called Marietta and it was the very first settlement in the Ohio Valley 
it is just chock full of it's of witchy vibes it's on the confluence of the ohio muskegon rivers and there are mounds here ancient ancient mounds and we are getting married in the lafayette hotel which is super haunted and (laughs) and my (laughs) one of my friends is making me this gorgeous wedding dress and it's this like i have these it's gonna have um black tulle with these embroidered flowers and i have another friend that's making me a headdress that has like goat horns and dried flowers and moss and like i'm just going full witchy vibes (laughs) wow Oh man, and you have a Facebook because I I need to see yes. these pictures when it happens. As they, I will, yeah. <laughs> you can you can uh, <laughs> friend me on Facebook and on Instagram, and I will totally put all the pictures on there. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> oh, that sounds so much fun! I I'm going to a witchy wedding on Halloween day, and I'm very excited about that. And it's we're all supposed to dress up in costumes, so I'm yep. already kind of trying to figure out what costume I'm going to wear. I've been married 25 years, so it was a very long time ago when I got married. I got married at a Presbyterian church, and so oh, now wow. I'm thinking, oh my God, I wish I could just do a whole witchy, crazy, dark, misty vibe. For oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> you should do like a, a vow renewal and have it be the wedding that you would love it to be. Yeah, my husband would probably freak out about that, but I, I could probably, probably do it for me. <laughs> oh yeah, I, uh, oh man, I, yeah, I, I'm so excited about this wedding. It's going to be, like, my parents are doing very well. They're doing mm. very well, even though it's so out of their wheelhouse. They're a little bit more traditional, and mm-hmm. but, like every once in a while, my mom just goes, "Okay, Corinne." <laughs> <laughs> One of the best weddings that I ever went to was a friend of my husband's and I didn't know what I was getting into when I went. I didn't know what it was about. I just thought it was a normal wedding, but it was a day of the dead. It was, it was a day of the dead theme wedding and it was awesome. Ah, I love that. Yeah. Everything was these beautiful skulls and just, yeah, it was amazing. I took so many pictures. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, so like we're, we're encouraging our guests to uh, dress in costumes and I am, what I love about it is like we have uh, Aaron, my fiance, he is an artist. And so Mm. we have a lot of artists, creative friends and everyone's bringing their own personality to it. And it's so much fun. So some people are going to be silly. Other people Mm -hmm. are going glam, like everyone's doing their version of what they want Halloween to be. And I am here for all of it. I love it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Corinne, it's been so great having you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. And as always, I would love to hear what our listeners think about this episode's topics. And hey, even if you have a pickling recipe for me, you can put that down too. If you go to our podcast website, you can comment on this very episode with your thoughts and your questions. You can even click that little microphone, send me a voice message. I might just use it on a future episode. Take care and y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle.